Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss X-Factor, number 35. What? I know, right? That's so crazy. Uh, This is the December 1968 issue on sale August 30th of 1988. I think I said 68, whatever. Cover price of a dollar. Uh... This one's this one's called "Go to the Orphan Maker," and uh, this is this is the point in the mutant comic book <laughs> um, uh, phase where we need to start bouncing back and forth to get the full story. At least for a little bit with Inferno, I think it gets worse later. But this issue has some pretty important details uh, as far as things that are to come in the future. As well as just filling out more of the information we thought we already knew. Uh, but on the cover of this, it's it's Orphan Maker. The Orphan Maker that we've seen, I think, in the pages of X-Factor. I don't know if we've seen him yet in the pages of the X-Men. No, just, just a X-Factor. And uh, in the background, so Orphan Maker's in the front with a big old gun. And in the back, uh, you've got Gene and Cyclops coming around the corner. And uh, flanking the cover, you've got all of these... What looks like baby heads in jars. Yeah, it's it's very. Uh, it's kind of yeah, like Futurama that's... with baby heads. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, and and I mean spoilers. It's not baby heads in the comic, but this just makes it look like there's a whole bunch of severed baby heads. I feel like maybe somebody gave somebody an idea of what was in the issue, and they kind of ran with it. Right. This is a Walt Simonson cover, and he does not do the interior. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, actually, we have a guest penciler, and uh, I don't know. F- as much as as, f- as much as I'm concerned, I think he does a fairly good job. Uh, yeah, and I guess Louis Simonson is writing. Terry Schumacher is the guest penciler. Joe Rubenstein is the guest inker. Joe Rosen's lettering. Petra Scott Scotesi. Petra Scotesi is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Uh, and this is a Stanley presentation, Adam. Do you say Terry Schumacher or Terry Shoemaker? I said Schumacher, but I I think it's actually spelled Shoemaker. I'm not sure either. Yeah, I don't think it's Schumacher. I think it's Shoemaker. Okay. Yeah, I was just reading really fast. Uh, and yeah, and uh, this issue, you know, it's kind of the beginning of Inferno. So we start the book out with something that's not really relevant to the rest of the story. And it's basically uh, Iceman and Beast being attacked by demon-possessed um, construction equipment. Yeah. What, what kind of construction equipment is this? Is this a... Uh, what is this thing? Uh, it's not a bulldozer. It's like a tractor trailer somehow? Or It's green, so that kind of makes me think of John Deere, which makes me think it's farming equipment, but they're in the middle of New York, so it can't possibly be farming yeah, equipment. It, it, it looks like it's a tractor trailer, but I think it's more of a, a bulldozer. Yeah. Yep. At any rate, so we, we, we have been getting a couple of hints of how things uh, in the pages of uh, New Mutants, uh, there's been a few animate objects, and this is the first time we're kind of seeing some of our main characters face them. Yeah, uh, in the pages of X-Factor, Exterminators, and New Mutants, I think, like, the kids, air quotes around the kids, are seeing weird things, but the adults aren't. Uh, and this is the first time that the adults are actually seeing the weirdness that's occurring. So, but whatever. Yeah. 
um, they're like, hey, this is crazy. We should get to the ship and try to get a hold of Gene and Scott and find out what's happening. So and Beast is talking all like, uh, oh right, in- intelligent again, like uh, yeah. over intelligent. I guess it's it's important. It's been a while since we've talked about it, but yeah, Beast got like reverse pestilenced, uh, and now he is blue, furry, and super smart. It would facilitate our understanding of the phenomenon if we could contact the ship and access its scanners. Most annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't talk like that anymore, does he? I don't think so. Hmm. So, yeah, Scott and Gene, with a tip from ship, um, track down this orphanage as the most probable place for where Scott's son is. And it turns out that it's the same orphanage that he went to as a kid. We should mention that Beast and Iceman do successfully stop the tractor trailer, the demonically possessed tractor trailer. I don't care about that. (laughs) (laughs) And then they say, we need to get a hold of Scott and Gene because this is crazy. Uh, So as Scott shows up to the orphanage, he's... He's getting glimpses of memories that he hasn't thought of for years, but things aren't really adding up. Uh, Like in his first memory, he remembers that he was here before the plane caught on fire and his mom pushed him and his brother out of the airplane and cracked his skull, uh, which is the thing that prevents him from controlling his powers, supposedly. And he was here, and he opened his eyes, and he almost blew off the roof, but nobody noticed because he closed his eyes so fast, except for one kid. And that kid was bossing everybody around, and it was really strange. But then he's like, wait a minute, that couldn't have happened. <laughs> I went to here after the the I was pushed out of the plane, and I was taken to the hospital, and I was in a coma. And the thing, he, the thing he doesn't me- uh, mention is, do you remember Diamond Jack, Jack of Diamonds? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not mentioned anywhere in here. Oh, well, I forgot about that. <laughs> if I was Gene and walking around with the babbling Scott Summers as they're trying to do some sort of, you know, espionage-esque mission, I'd just be like, shut up, Scott. <laughs> Scott, shut up. Why can't you stop talking? Element what? of surprise. We're breaking into an orphanage to steal children. And this, and as they break in, it gets progressively weirder and weirder and weirder. And he never stops talking. And it's just like, I, I can just imagine Gina's just like, Ugh. Scott remembers where things were. He's like, right over here is the infirmary, or infirmary, infirmary. So let's just lay low. And Gene's like, uh, I don't, we don't have to lay low. There's a whole bunch of people here, but everybody's ignoring us. Which is bizarre. Which is bizarre. It's as if they're invisible. Um, Scott says that he was here for years with headaches, vision problems, brought about by the fall. He remembers being in the infirmary, uh, but yet he can't remember a single thing that happened to him here. So we're kind of entering, I don't know, Do you, is this a retcon or are we just more fully filling out Scott's history? Well, it never really resolves what he's thinking of either, because then he says, the only thing I do remember is that I, uh, the only thing I do remember can't possibly have happened. So it's like, he's got, he's got, he's kind of sending us some memories, which are true and some, which one, which he acknowledges are not true. And we don't necessarily know which are which. Yeah. So Gene stumbles across a little girl who is kind of freaked out 
uh, and it seems to she seems to be freaked out by their presence, even though she can't see them. She can sense them. Uh, she, apparently, she's got some telepathic powers. Her eyes don't register us. Some hypnotic suggestion is blocking them, but she feels us here, and she's not supposed to. At this point, if I'm Gene, I'm like, okay, something is seriously wrong with this thing. You need to shut up, Scott. <laughs> Nobody actually really says that, though. They're like, oh, well, this is weird. She's pushing me away. She's afraid of something in the basement. Gene kind of alludes to it um, a little bit, but no, 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 not to the point that they should, where it's like, all right, this is this is messed up. We came here and this place is seriously creepy and weird. Uh, so she goes on to say that the girl that's kind of freaked out is like, there's something in the basement. She thinks they're going to put her in there and it's kind of like a coffin. And that's when Scott remembers that destiny mentioned a coffin when she searched for timelines for his son. Gene thinks that it can't be coincidence that, uh, Scott was brought here and then his son was also brought here. What else do you remember about your time here? Were there any other mutant children? I'd like to point out the inking on Scott's face here is is, is quite good. There's a couple of really good panels of uh, of various things. On the next page, there's a nice one in the, in the lower left-hand corner of Scott and Gene that's some pretty good shading. Yeah, yeah. So Scott's got some more memories about being in a classroom. Um, somebody sent him to a specialist in Washington where they discovered that ruby quartz lenses would control his headaches. Although I think we learned that Jack of Diamonds discovered that. But <laughs> well, again, I think this is, this is this is one of those memories that don't make any sense. True. One kid named Lefty, his real name was Nathan, of all things. Uh, Which he, I, I don't know if that gets retconned or what. Eh, but I don't know. Put a pin in it. Yeah, put a pin in it, I guess. He stole Scott's glasses and kept saying, look at me. I dare you, you chicken. But I, he wouldn't because he knew that if he looked at the kid, he'd blow a hole right through him. But it was almost as if he wanted him to, but he held it all back. So this is mysterious. And then it's more mysterious because of the fact that, don't you understand? It's must have been some kind of premonition or delusion. I didn't have powers then. Just headaches. My optic blast emerged a while later. Powerful, uncontrollable, dangerous. And then and – then, you, you you alluded to this earlier, but he says brain damage from my concussion years earlier had left me unable to contain their power. Did we have we ever heard that before? Uh, I guess I've read so many X-Men comic books that I know that <laughs> to be part of the story, but I don't know. I don't know where. And is that specifically referring to the plane crash? I thought so. I thought. Uh, yeah, I thought that the, the the origin was that he was pushed out of the plane hit his head because uh, the parachute fired off late. And because of that concussion or blow to the head, the area of his brain that could have controlled his powers was damaged. But I, again, I don't know if that's like a story from the 80s, 90s, teens. I have no idea. And it, to be, you know, they could easily redcon it and just say like the, the professor just told him he could do that because he's a jerk. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like they could like maybe rotate the camera and show you that there was a third Summers kid too, because <laughs> that would never happen either. They would never do that because <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So I know that to be part of the origin, but I honestly don't remember if that was X Men, classic X Men, X Factor, or future stories we haven't read yet, or this. I feel like this is the first time I'm hearing it 
on this podcast, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the first time that I have a terrible memory to begin with. So it very well could be, uh, Adam. Let's just assume that this is the first time we're hearing this little factoid. Okay. <laughs> so this is where Gene is finally like, Scott, darling, this is a terrible place. Not normal. Nothing like normal. Did you just figure that out? <laughs> Scott says. <laughs> uh, uh, so Gene keeps pushing. What really happened to you? Uh, and Scott's like, oh, you're overreacting. <laughs> I hated it here. Sure, we all did. But they told me I was lucky. The damage as I was, they let me stay here. There were no babies on that level. Maybe the next story down and Gene says the obvious thing. Little girl thinks we should, or, you know, is afraid of the basement. So let's go to the basement. We should, uh, we skipped this, but back on page four or five, whatever, uh, we do see the orphan maker or nanny's bug-like ship off in the distance heading towards the orphanage. Oh, yeah. I guess I never, I kind of didn't really acknowledge that. I just sort of saw it and I was like, interesting. Yeah. And that's when we flip over to them. Landing on the roof, uh, it's Nanny, it's Orphan Maker, and apparently uh, Nanny has taken taken some of the abducted children and powered them up, or they already had powers, but has essentially brainwashed them to help. Is Nanny a male or a female? Or does it not matter? I don't think it matters. Okay. Um, but Then I'm going to refer to them as them. We'll keep an eye out for it. Maybe, maybe we'll get a clue. Um, okay. But there's there's two redheads and a bunch of other kids that don't matter. <laughs> they all have names too, and they're silly. So, or, uh, Nanny opens up the orphanage roof and uh, says, "Let's begin." And they're they're gonna get ready to do whatever there is they're going to do. Meanwhile, Jean is descending Scott uh, and her down a really long elevator shaft to the basement. I don't remember the orphanage having an elevator. Jean says it was hidden. Uh, Scott's like it could have been added after I left, and she's like, "Get real, this is crazy. Something it's part of a sinister wrongness." Just ask Interesting. yourself. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. Yes. Do you think, do you think that was on purpose? Yes. Because the word sinister is used multiple times in this book in weird context. Um, oddly enough, they, they, don't use the word, they don't use the word mister, which they should have somehow worked in. <laughs> mister, this place is just sinister. They should have said, what a sinister mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scott, Why you, your son, your brother? And that's when he says Alex was only here for a couple of weeks. Gene, when I woke from my coma, they told me he was already gone, adapted. And then he has a flash. Someone taking Alex away. He was crying out to me to save him. I wanted to, but I was frozen. I couldn't move. Probably some jumbled retcon from the hospital. <laughs> or else I dreamt it. I missed Alex and I was jealous. Sometimes I actually hated him. Shut up, Scott! <laughs> <laughs> There's a light at the end of the shaft. So they make themselves down there. Uh, Gene says, Scott, I can feel something down there so soft like a butterfly. And Scott's like, your telepathic powers are returning now that I don't have to hide Madeline from you? And she's like, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes that little girl was reaching out to me. Anyone with sensitivity could have felt it. I didn't. Maybe that's because they taught you not to feel convenience. Oh, burn. Scott <laughs> has no feelings. 
There's some dude carrying around a package down there, but again, he can't see them. There's like zombie workers here. And Scott's like, no, this is totally normal. <laughs> Gene's like, uh, we've just broken into a secret billion dollar high tech fortress. Why doesn't someone try to stop us over there? They, I feel uh, it's coming from there. And it looks like they're heading towards a building that's underground. It's like a big dome shaped room. Yeah. Or something. And they walk in and they say, oh my Lord. And that's when they see all of these. Um, it's kind of like uh, the Matrix, I guess. Except all all babies. They weren't babies in the Matrix, were they? Well, as as stated before, I never really cared for that movie. No, they weren't. They were people. They were all the people were in the the things. Because Keanu Reeves is in one, and he's not a baby. <laughs> that's true, Adam. That's true. Did you see the uh, Did you see the Bill and Ted thing? Yeah, and I wanted to be like one of these people hasn't aged as well as the other one. <laughs> Neither of them look terrific. Oh, are you kidding me? I thought I mean, Keanu Reeves Ke- looks like he's aged, but he's... Keanu, Keanu Reeves looks like he's on Adderall. He's just well. like, yes, I don't I don't have any lines. I need to make this shit up. Yeah, he's all skinny and yeah, maybe he's on meth. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, but but uh, the other guy, what's his face? Not Let's Keanu call him Reeves. Bill. <laughs> He, uh, he looks like he's aged like a normal person. Yeah. So anyhow, yeah, uh, Gene points out, babies, children inside uh, those pods, frozen, sleeping, cold as death, but still alive. Scott knows his son's in here. How will I find them? And Gene's like, I'll know. I'll know. He's what I'm feeling, Scott. He's not calling out, not, protect, not, not projecting, just being, but I still feel him. There are dozens of babies here. Why can I feel just him? There he is. <laughs> I sense, and I don't know if it's like how it's colored, but it looks like this baby has blonde hair and a mustache. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it kind of does. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's just that the upper light, uh, upper uh, lip hasn't been colored in, but it looks like he's got a little baby mustache. Yeah. Oh, he's adorable. Christopher Scott says uh, they decided they have to open up the chamber. Wake him up, get him out of here, save him from this terrible place. And Scott's like, not just him, Gene. We have to save all of them. We cut to outside the orphanage again. And this time, landing on the roof are Nastir's demons. And um, they're on a mission. Lord Nastir says, lots of babies are here and a special one. Most very special. Master need him most of all. Master say we bring him special baby. Look, hole already in the roof. Start. They start grabbing kids, and um, some of them are too old. And like, so the the people that work here don't see this either. I have no idea uh, what's going on it's, with the people that it's work. Very here. confusing. Yeah. Um, and I think one of these is Crotus. He's got like the he's got the goggles to find the, yeah. the special babies. Uh, they're still very concerned with eating because apparently the steer won't let them eat. Didn't Crotus give the glasses away to somebody in exchange for help or something, though? I don't remember. Might not be Crotus. I don't remember. I like to think that Crotus is in all of the books. <laughs> it could so, be. So he's in New York, and now he's in Nebraska, and he's just everywhere. Uh, yeah, and this actually ties in, I guess, with X-Men number 240, which we will find out about later. Yeah, this is it's, it's an interesting, like, this issue, chronologically, actually came out before that issue. So it's interesting that they're... Mentioning it. Yes. 
Because 240 is like the beginning of Inferno, and this is kind of a prologue to Inferno for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, back to Gene and Scott. They're slowly releasing all the babies, but that's when Scott has wrapped his jacket around uh, Christopher. Yep. Should be noted that Gene and Scott were both wearing jackets before. It's not really an important detail, but now they're not. Hmm. Uh, that's when Orphan Maker and Nanny show up. They open up the roof and jump in, and so do all these kids that we were talking about earlier. Uh, they are Nanny's lost boys, parentheses, and girls. The babies, they're here, my lost boys and girls. I don't really have a nanny voice. Yeah, it'd be, I feel like it would be more robotic. The babies, they're here, my lost boys and girls. Can you do like a English accent as a robot? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to try it? Difficulty of nine here. I don't even know if I can do an English accent right now. <laughs> Other than my Mrs. Doubtfire, I'd have to do like a, oh, turtle. <laughs> the uh, babies. <laughs> See, it does. It, it, I lost all the robot. The babies. And, and I don't think there was an English accent there either. Uh, so how would you say the babe? The babe. Uh, oh, the babies. No, that's Australian. I don't know. Uh, babies. Babies. The, the easiest Boy, British accent to do is the the is the Dick Van Dyke. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a chimney sweeper, eh? I'm a, I'm a chimney sweeper, oi. <laughs> Where are the babies, oi? I don't know. All right, so that's... I guess we're not going to come up with a, with an orphan or a, a nanny. But I bet Orphan Maker has like a little kid voice. And he's like, uh-oh, nanny, there's people here. Oh, totally. Uh, and so the children that they've got, these are mutant children. Uh, their names are Big Top, Bonzo, Speed Freak, Shatterbox. I don't know who's who, though. I'll be honest. The redheads are Shatterbox. That's all that matters. Both of them? Like they're Shatter and a box? Yeah, they're together. They're shatter box. They have a one and a two T-shirt. Thing I mean, one and thing two. They only get their own. They only get one name. Yep, and they're they have red hair, right? Yes. That okay. Uh, no one else matters. <laughs> no one else matters. Uh, but they're they're here to get the babies. Um, and I don't know. So we know what the demons are after. They need the babies for Nastir for for reasons. I don't think we know. Do we know why Nanny wants all the babies? Uh, we found out in a couple pages. Okay, we can wait. They've sent children to do their dirty work. Mutant children led by an armored giant and high-tech Humpty Dumpty. Who are you? Why did you steal my son? And Nanny's like, your son? That does make things more difficult. I assume that the parents had been dealt with previously. I got my orphan maker. It's time to go a-hunting. Oh, I like that. It's, it's, it's kind of a C-3PO sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's uh, angry C-3PO. <laughs> uh, yes oh wait that's that's uh that's orphan maker yes wait. yes nanny no i yeah i think that's i think that's orphan maker yeah uh cyclops is shooting at orphan maker and gene's like cyclops no violence here tell them gene the bullets ricochet could harm the babies they could kill my son scott stop your optic blasts ricochet off his armor and, and and slashes the coolant pipes like... Oh, I can't do it. I can't do angry C-3PO. Who am I kidding? Yes. Uh, Nanny goes on to say that it's slashing the coolant pipes like ruby knives. And 
Jean notices the two redheads called Shatterbox, and she he, she says, "No, that can't be true. My sister can't be." Orphans like all my charges. No, that can't be true. My sister can't be. And at first I was like, wait, is one of those your sister? Because your sister's name is Sarah and your sister's like your same age and these are kids. So I got confused here, but it, it gets cleared up later. There's a giant teddy bear. I'm guessing that one of these kids who doesn't matter's power is to animate giant teddy bears. So one of the kids is carrying a regular sized teddy bear that this girl slash boy and or boy must be able to animate and enlarge it or some somehow. Mm-hmm. That's neat. And this one kid but, with the vest, his mutant powers to hold the coolant hose. Yeah. Uh, I think that's speed freak. So he's just super fast. Do we actually see speed freak use his speed? No, but. Nanny says, gently speed freak. This is not a race. Gotcha. Uh, Peter. Oh, spoilers. Orphan maker says, Nanny makes the best armor in the world. You can't hurt me. Nanny promised she won't let anybody hurt me, but I can hurt you. And Cyclops, rather than using his optic beams, he swings around on the broken coolant hoses like Tarzan and eventually hits uh, orphan maker in the face with some coolant. Nanny. Um, Gene uses the word ensorcled, which, or ensorcled. I don't know what that that? means. Uh, you see, no answer. They don't know those names. Don't even know what you're talking to, or don't even know that you're talking to them. You have them ensorcled. You won't find me such an easy target. Oh, so under your spell. Is it ensorcled or ensorcled? Like sorcery. like, Like sorcerer. So sorcery. So ensorcled. Yeah, it's not a word I'm terribly familiar with. <laughs> okay. I'm going to use that at work. You have ensorcelled <laughs> me with your excellent plan. Let's do it. Hey, guys. I felt pretty ensorcelled the other day. How about you? <laughs> uh, Nanny goes on to say that uh, Gene blocked his barrage. Excellent teleconnect control. Informed, I think, by a low-level te- telepathy. Pity that you're all grown up. Pity that you'll have to die. So we're getting more and more hints that Gene's telepathy is returning. Well, we are, we always knew that she had at least a low-level telepathy, I, I suppose. I mean, she, Well, she can't read minds and she can't telepathically talk to anybody. We've just, like, uh, I would say that outside of this book that we're reading right now, I think we've only had maybe two or three instances that, that could have been pointed towards Gene having that low-level telepathy in the okay. pages of X-Factor. But I think they're really driving the point home in this issue. It's coming back, folks. <sighs> Spoilers. Oh, I wasn't saying like, that, like I knew anything. I haven't read ahead. Oh. So, yes, they continue fighting. Um... And uh, Scott blasts Orphan Maker up through the roof where there's a small child just hanging out. And, um, like, all the people seem to have disappeared. But is this a child that was, like, up in the uh, uh, orphanage that couldn't see anything? See anybody? I, I, I'm guess, guessing yes. Yeah, same here. But what what is curious is that the people, there were a bunch of people monitoring all of the babies. Oh, they're and gone. And they've just completely disappeared. Yeah. Orphan Maker's like, you hurt Nanny. 
she couldn't make you do what she wants all by herself. Sometimes that happens. And when she, oh, and that's when I get to help Pixie Sand and, and he throws sand at Jean. And she's able to telekinetically stop it and falls Jean, on the floor. And Jean says, so that's Nanny's secret. She's a weak telepath with chemical oh, okay. that makes her uh, subject, makes her subject more suggestible. So, so she's got to have a lady robot voice. Yes. Well, she doesn't have to. Well, otherwise, why would they be calling her a she? Uh, well, all right. Fair enough. Maybe they're, yeah. Uh, so I guess that, so what we're hearing here is maybe, uh, orphan maker is under her spell. These kids are under her spell. I guess I don't even know if orphan maker is a person or a robot. Jeremy, if the egg talked like this, (laughs) well, I guess that could be a lady too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, that's why I think that it's a distinct female voice. Stop gender stereotyping. (laughs) Jesus. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Gene throws up some uh, tele- telekinesis to block the pixie dust and Orphan Maker. Very cross about that. Nanny says it's valuable. I mustn't waste it. And you threw it on the ground. And he shoots at her with his super gun. Blam, blam, blam. No bullets here. Since you won't listen, I'm moving the fight out of here telekinetically. And so... The fight has moved to the upper levels, away from the babies in the offices, and uh, leaving behind all of uh, orphan ma- uh, nanny's mutant children. Right, which is dumb. Yes, <laughs> one of them ought to have stayed behind just to like make sure. Maybe they figured uh, it's just kids. What can they do? Nanny goes off on a old nursery rhyme that I've never heard of before and I'm not going to recite it but she, she she goes through it never trouble trouble till trouble troubles you isn't there oh do we miss the long one I thought there was a longer one uh, this this there, I, I cut off the first half of this ah, uh, yes, and I think yes, I think there is a longer one as well okay Jean's like keep her talking she seems to like to talk distract her find out what's happening Nanny, that's your name, right? Who are you? Why fight us? We're on your side. We want to save these children, too. Orphan Maker's like, you're not on our side. You want to take us and use us and hurt us. That's when Scott realizes, oh, well, he gets hit first, and then he falls into a bookcase and realizes there's children around here. And Gene, you better shield these children because fighting in an orphanage, there's lots of people here. This is a bad idea all the way around. And this is where we get kind of Nanny's uh, reason for being. Um, You worship perfection and prey on the weak. My orphan maker came from such a place, cast out, destined for destruction. I saved him. He was the first and best soldier in Nanny's Salvation Army, which is kind of a cool name, for I will save them. Save them all. Stolen children. Special children. Kept in cold sleep to be awakened years later. So it's Walt Disney. Mm. Uh, when the search for them has ceased and the world has forgotten them, but Nanny has not forgotten. Nanny heard of their peril, and Nanny came, and Nanny came. So Orphan Maker came from a place much like this, cast out, destined for destruction. Is Nanny, an, or is Orphan Maker an alien robot? No, could be. I honestly don't know if there is an origin or what the origin of Orphan Maker is. Let's assume that this is an alternate Superman origin. Oh, okay. And Orphan Maker is uh, Clark Kent. Okay. 
Sure. Or uh, I guess Cal L. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jean's like, or Scott's like, Nanny, stop. We have powers as great as yours. We can protect them. The Orphan's Maker's like, no, you can't. Tell them, Nanny. Tell them that part. Certainly, my Orphan Maker. <laughs> Your parents can save these children from those who would exploit and destroy them, or else they would not be here now. Which I guess is a good point. So, you know. wait, so Nanny is a Dalek? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I just decided. <laughs> if I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm cool. Um, yeah, so basically, if you were any good at saving your children, they wouldn't be in the orphanage in the first place, you jerks. Fair point. Fair point. Ooh, sick burn. <laughs> That's when the demons are like, look, a fight. No need to fight. They fight each other. We steal babies. Ha, big fight it was. Big hole all the way down into the earth. Smell power, feel power, new power. So they fly That's down there. there. They fly through the teddy bear and they start grabbing uh, kid kid receptacles. So the, the teddy bear's name is Bonzo and the kid that works with Bonzo is Big Top. Well, Bonzo's dead. Yeah, oh well. That's <laughs> <laughs> sad to say. And that's when they sense the power. Uh, look through the glass and see what you see, Master. May or may not be Crotus. Uh, and looks at the, looks, I think, at probably Christopher Summers' uh, tube and's like, ooh, that one's got lots of powers. Yeah, because... Um, oh, totally. Easy. Wire, easy lies all sleeping, wires pulled off, wrapped up in big human's coat. So we know this is Christopher. Not only that, he's the one that Master sent us for present for goblin queen need three more Fah, we take six or seven or ten we get lord nastir choose best one for magics and we eat the rest so we know that they need 13 so they've already got 10 i guess wow well i mean yeah. in the pages of the exterminators i felt like in the pages of the exterminators they were coming up with nothing hmm. and that was the problem nastir was like oh you guys keep bringing the wrong babies I can't these are these are adults. I feel like somehow, somewhere in issue two. No, in issue two. Remember, we had that sad story about the guy who was just trying to make a living, and they stole his baby. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that did happen. And so I, I feel like there was a panel where Artie and Leech are taking care of I don't know a handful of babies, and you know, off I think panel. I think three babies, but yeah. you think there's like seven more off panel? Sure, sure. Because Artie and Leech don't count because they're too old. Exactly. I hear you. Um. Yeah, so then we flip over to Nanny and Orphan Maker. Uh, Orphan Maker's like, you can't get me. Light bounces off me. But I got a good chunk of roof. I will smash you. And Scott thinks to himself, my light bounces off. Why, it does indeed. And he, he shoots Orphan, uh, yeah, Orphan Maker, and it reflects into the roof and collapses on top of Orphan Maker and Nanny. Although, again, this is kind of silly. He could have just shot the roof parts. Right. And it, I think it would have had the same effect, you've, but it makes a nice sound effect. Shatter! <laughs> Nanny says, you think you've defeated us, fool. We have distracted you wolves with battle while my little shepherds collect the lost lambs. And that's when the redhead kid comes up and is like, oh, Nanny, down below, monsters with horns and wings. I... I feared that I feared that might happen. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> I thought we had time, but you delayed us. Power, parents with powers, parents even parents with powers are useless. Are better of dead. So as as they're flying away, Jean's like, 
she's getting away. I have to know. And she grabs the mask off of the redheaded girl and says, no, no, it's you, Galen. And I'm like, who's Galen? <laughs> do, do we know who Galen is? No, we don't, but she'll tell us in a minute. She will, but I studied this panel for like a while and I'm like, all right, is Galen Sarah's nickname? Is this Sarah? Did Sarah have kids? Was Sarah's kids named Galen? Have we met the kids? No, we haven't. We haven't met the kids. The, 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 we're just supposed to know that Marvel Girl knows this person. I feel like, you know, in for this story to be a little bit better, and it's not a bad story. I do actually like this story quite a bit. Earlier in the issue, as they were t- in the orphanage, like talking about kids and talking about the past, Jean could have dropped a line like, yeah, it's so sad. Ever since Sarah disappeared, I haven't been able to see my niece and nephew, Galen and Bill. And then, <laughs> so you set it up so that in the third act, you can knock it down with this line, Galen! But no, really, like, who the hell's Galen? Anyways. <laughs> Girl child got away. Girl child told. Oh, these are the goblins yes. saying that about Galen. We go out back way, quick and quiet. Uh-oh, not so quiet. Special baby, wake up. Where? And Jean hears the special baby crying. Do you hear, Scott? And Orphan make her a nanny escape. And as they're escaping, they use a some sort of uh, uh, tractor beam to pull the rest of the uh, nanny's sires with them. And that's when Nanny says, uh, Silly Peter, look behind us. The Vortex is in operation, and they are already being swept up behind us. So Orphan Maker's name is Peter. I thought we already knew that. Uh, if we did, we definitely know it now. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know that we did or didn't, but now we for sure know that his name is Peter for some reason. So I guess that means he's not an alien robot. No, he's Colossus. <laughs> oh, weird. Gene's like, no, the children save them, the baby. It, it's screaming. And Scott, like, he's a he, not an it. (laughs) (laughs) No, Scott's like, what? Can't you, can't you hear it? No, screaming where? Inside my head, loud. Gone, he's gone. Claws prick my flesh, monster faces, monster jaws. Gene, snap out of it. What's happened to him? What are you talking about? Sarah, my now you're the one babbling. <laughs> Sarah, my sister, uh, Sarah's children, Nanny took them. Doesn't matter. No, Nanny's problem with adults, with parents, not children. They're safe with, uh, f- they're safe for now with Nanny. Uh, baby little Christopher needs us, needs me. Woke up screaming, calls out to me as though he owns my heart. He's in my head screaming, screaming. We have to get back to the ship and follow him. Scott, we have to save Christopher because sweet heaven... They're going to kill him. Next issue, City Heat Inferno is here. Inferno is here, City Heat. So, yeah, normally we do not do an extended coverage of X Factor, but uh, as this is a big part of the Inferno storyline, I think we're going to be doing a lot of extra coverage of books we don't normally cover. Uh, But I also, uh, this issue just seemed important. I mean, it's very important. They found Christopher. Yeah. I mean, as far as the mythology of, you know, Scott and Jean Grey, this is, uh, this, this, this is super important. It's a big deal, man. It's a totally big deal. So I think it's even bigger than that. Uh, overall, um, I, I, I like this issue quite a bit. 
Yes, uh, I also liked it. It was a very, um, it was a very anxiety-filled issue because, like, you're going through this thing, and then uh, Nanny shows up, and then the goblins show up, and it's just all these uh, different forces building up to a big fight and it was well done yeah to me for me that's like the cherry on top like it's kind of this not really a mexican standoff but three different people going after the same different thing and who's going to win but also at the very beginning of the issue uh all of the babbly talk from cyclops where he's questioning himself and he's remembering things that aren't quite right uh, i just thought were a neat little touch it gives a feeling of unease where it's like this is this is this is confusing uh, what's going on with inside of the orphanage is the very strange things that for some reason they're not really talking about, which kind of makes it even more eerie. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, nice issue, Luis Simonson, because I know you listen. <laughs> she called me and she's like, you guys going to talk about X factor number 35. And I it's said, the yes. Creme de la creme of my issues. <laughs> One of my better issues. <laughs> I hope you give it the extra special treatment. And I said, Luis, for you, anything. This one goes out to you, Louise. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to, uh, we have no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, we we did get a Facebook communique from Felix Ramirez saying that he's been listening, trying to catch up while working. He works for Frito-Lay, so he has some time while stocking shelves. Thanks for making my work days easier. Uh, you're welcome. And he sends a picture of his ingredients for a fastball special. All right. Which is pretty cool. Uh, we always like to hear, as we've mentioned before, what you're doing when you're listening to the podcast. And I don't know why this fastball special is called 1114 p.m. I, is that what he does while he's stocking the shelves? I <laughs> would imagine that he stocked the shelves until 1030 or 11, drove home and mixed himself up a fastball special. Which in this case is Russian vodka, which like St. Peter's Alamov, Canadian Club, 100% rye, and Pepsi. And there's a picture of somebody on a rocket who I'm just going to assume is Felix. Totally. He's like, I'm riding that fastball special wave straight to space. It's pretty cool. I'd love to know what the measurements are. What do you think? It's like two parts vodka, one part whiskey topped off with Pepsi? If he's following the original uh, ingredients, the way that we described it, it is it is two shots of Russia, one shot of whiskey, and then you just fill up the glass, which is like a highball, with a uh, with with the remainder with ice and Pepsi. Adam, that's exactly what I said. I know, but I was more detailed. Oh, <laughs> and I did mine from memory. <laughs> uh, actually, I just I just took a wild guess. Actually, I, I, I moved left to mine, right and then took the soda to fill it up. Mine was also from memory. <laughs> Whatever. And uh, I think the ice is optional. Well, you have to have ice. No, you don't. Ugh. I've had many fastball specials without ice. At room temperature? Well, no. I mean, the Pepsi is always chilled. Gross. Like, so the booze is room temperature, and then you mix it with cold Pepsi. So then you end up with something that's not, like, cold, but it's not room temperature? Mm-hmm. And all delicious. Yuck. It's got to have some, it's got to be ice cold. It's got to be ice cold like, like Colossus's armor, man. Well, that's, I, I, I don't know. It's optional. No, it's not. You're doing if it wrong. If you've got a time crunch and you don't have any ice in the fridge. How do you, you not have any ice that. in the fridge? 
Oh, well, first of all, it's going to be in the That's freezer, true. not the fridge. That's, all right, the freezer. It's I, I usually do have ice in the fridge. But you know sometimes like when, you're, when your freezer's off on the fritz and you go and you pick out, you pull out your ice dishes and there's only like little crumbs of specks of ice at the bottom of the, the ice dishes. Adam, I live in the 21st century where A, my freezer works and B, I have an ice maker. Oh, I don't have an ice maker. Now, I, my fridge doesn't dispense the ice, so it's just like a bin of ice in my freezer, but I am never without ice, and it's it's amazing. I have an ice maker, but it doesn't work, so if I turn it on, all it does is destroy the freezer. <laughs> oh. I, should, I should probably get a new fridge, but I'm not going to because the fridges are expensive. Well, people, if you want to chime in about how to drink your drinks and the perils of ice makers, please and if do- you want to... If you want to contribute to the Patreon to help me buy a new fridge. It's going to be a lot of Patreons that we need. That's a worthy cause, right? <laughs> buy Adam a fridge. I think that's like a Kickstarter. No, a GoFundMe. <laughs> oh, okay. Fix my fridge. Don't you want me to enjoy freezer food? This freezer <laughs> food should be enjoyed. Well, my freezer works fine. I just, you know, I, I can't make ice. Well, yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, get a hold of us, www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first one that'll show up. You can call us and leave us a voice message at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Or go out to the aforementioned patreon.com forward slash danger room and contribute to Adam's freezer fund. (laughs) Uh, And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. You know, you don't have to buy like a whole new fridge. You could probably call like a refrigerator repair person. It, yes, it, I suppose I could, but I feel like... It'll cost more than $100 for sure, yeah. but a fridge is much I'd more rather, expensive than that. I'd rather just invest in a nice new fridge at some point. I'd rather, a, I'd rather just drink lukewarm fastball specials. Again, my freezer <laughs> works fine. I just don't have an ice maker. All righty. I have ice. <laughs> You don't have to get so defensive about it. I'm getting defensive about it. This is a very touchy subject. All right. Well, let me ease your mind with a a little recap of Excalibur number three. Okay. This one is Captain Britain versus the Juggernaut. And honestly, another good issue. It's fun. Uh, We get some weird people that are breaking into a prison, uh, but it's- The main one is named Vixen. I don't know who the rest of these people are. Do you know who Vixen is? Uh, she or no, it's not even Vixen. It's or is it Vixen? I don't even know anymore. Um, it's it's an Excalibur recurring character okay. that was either has been in a previous issue of Excalibur or also appeared in some of that other wacky weird stuff. Yes, her name is Vixen, and she is with a dude named Vincent. She's getting like champagne poured for her while her minions break in. They're wondering where everybody is, and they it's a trap. They're surrounded. And they make their way into a holding cell where they find Kane Marco in a stasis field. Uh, and so they make a deal and they say, like, look, you're stuck. We're stuck. If we free you, you're going to help us. And he's like, sure, I ain't going anywhere. And, uh, yeah, we get some juggernaut smashing out of a prison. Juggernaut just wrecking tanks and stuff. And then Captain Britain comes up and punches him in the face. And Juggernaut's like, nice, nice punch. You're a local good guy. And then you get some like witty banter between the two. And Captain Britain's like, I got to take you down. And Juggernaut's like, 
We got to really, do we really have to do this? And you get a little funny panel of Captain Britain hitting him over and over and over and over again, and then Juggernaut hitting him once, and uh, Captain Britain going flying across the field. It's very comical. Are they in Australia, or is this they took Juggernaut somewhere else? I, they're in. They got to be in England, I, I, or or Scotland, maybe. I feel like this is like what happened after he, he fought with Dazzler. Right. So, so why why would they transport him to England? Oh, maybe maybe they're in Scotland. I don't know. Okay. Doesn't really <laughs> say where they're at. Just well, it says they're in Crossmore, and oh. I did not take the uh, initiative and look that up. I don't know where Crossmore is either. Somewhere over the ocean, though. Scotland and England, they're pretty close to each other, aren't they? I guess so. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm I just, mean, I'm just going to pretend that they are. It's all Europe, so uh, closer but, closer than we are to Texas. Yeah, but apparently uh, Excalibur, so the rest of Excalibur's here, they all got kind of their points uh, of place where they're going to stop the various bad guys, which they do. It's all very fun. It's very, very witty. Uh, it's it's this is this would have made a good first issue because we get to see everybody's powers like first we get to see kitty then we get to see nightcrawler then we get to see megan do some stuff against juggernaut and then we get to see phoenix actually stop juggernaut using the basic old school mind power of his he doesn't have his helmet so he's he's pretty easy prey for a telepath well and that's what's great about this issue is it's page 11 everybody's done their thing their showcase of power and Phoenix comes and she's like, hey, I'm Phoenix. Guess what I do? And he's like, oh, no. And she zaps him. He's out. And that's it. Like, the fight's over. The main crux of the cover of the issue is over. Uh, and the issue is only half done. Right. And there's no more fighting in this issue. Nope. We get some dude who's, like, digging through some garbage. He's looking for aliens. But he finds that little frog-looking robot dude who teleports him to Saturnine's realm. Which is, again, from earlier Captain Britain stuff. And now, is Saturnine in a prison cell? Or is she just? Or does her bedroom just have bars in it? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I guess so. Uh, so they're moving into... So meanwhile, uh, with the rest of the issue, um, this is they're finally moving into the lighthouse that's going to be their base. Kitty's kind of lamenting this whole thing. She doesn't really like the idea of moving... Night, and she has a cold. She's got a cold. Nightcrawler's very optimistic about it. I think Rachel's also optimistic. Um, they're bringing all the stuff in. They're filling up the lighthouse, getting a little claustrophobic. Captain Britain drops a box of Kitty's software, and she's like, oh, my software! I wrote those with Doug Ramsey! Now they're as dead as he is! And she kind of goes off, like, I just want to be by myself. I'm going to bed, okay? I don't feel so hot. It starts raining, and uh, somebody is like, ah, it'll be over before you know it. Uh, and a week passes, and the rain's just worse. Uh, Captain Britain has been drinking heavily, and I talked about this way early on, that, that he's got a drinking problem. It's definitely confirmed here. Um, as a fire breaks out, as Lockheed is trying to dry some stuff out with his flame breath, and Rachel's like, I know how to take care of this. And so she takes all of the boxes of whiskeys and throws it into the water. Captain Britain's like, do you have the slightest notion? Like, what I just did? Absolutely. I threw away your whiskey. And killed a bunch of fish. <laughs> yes. Uh, Captain Britain's like, I'm not sure I like your tone. And she's like, I'm positive. I don't like your drinking. 
Nightcrawler's also like, Brian, do you really, are you aware of how much you consume? Kitty's like, as in lots. He says, I can handle it. Megan's like, I, I hope so. It just hurts so much that you turn to the bottle instead of me. And he gets all mad. He's like, well, at least it's there for me. And then flies off. I didn't expect some kind of intervention. <laughs> and uh, Megan, she runs out and she's all like, no, where are you going? And she starts turning, quote unquote, ugly. But she yeah. just gets like pointy ears and like a giant widow's peak. She starts turning back into sort of what she was originally drawn as. But wasn't Did she you... originally drawn as like a hairy beast? Um, I'm like way I... back in the black and white Captain Britons. I think it was hairy, but you know, I mean, whatever. It, it had pointy ears, and it was it was. Such, I, it, this is just the beginnings of going back to that. So maybe if she kept going, the hair would sprout out. I don't know. So Nightcrawler comes out, comforts her, and uh, Megan's like, Dad, don't look at me, I'm, I'm ugly. And, and she's and Nightcrawler's like, if you are Megan, then there is no truth, no beauty. So that's There's one thing I know above all others, that it's that a person cannot be judged by their looks, only their heart and soon. And yours, dear Megan, are as lovely as the sunrise. And the, and the storm <laughs> stops. Ooh, is that a Megan power or is that just a coincidence? Uh... I honestly I think it's don't a coincidence, know. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, so yes, uh, drinking problem, a little flirtation maybe going on between Nightcrawler and Megan. Oh, definitely. Uh, but as the sun clears out, Kitty's attitude is changing, and she's like, eh, "Let me plug all this stuff in. Maybe I can salvage some of the stuff." Uh, but she pops a fuse, and she goes down into the basement. And uh, as she's looking for the generator, she's like, "Oh, there's a mirror up here. That's weird." And she gets closer, and she sees a weird looking alternate version of herself and an exact duplicate of Lockheed and she freaks out uh meanwhile uh, Captain Britain's in London and he's uh fraternizing with Courtney Ross kind of pouring his heart out to her about all the things that have changed and eh, Megan's Megan's devoted to me but maybe a little too much but you're my friend you're my real friend you're the one I can talk to so uh, do they have a prior relationship, I think, or, or is, I mean, she's definitely into him. Oh yeah. I don't remember Adam, but okay. it really seems like yes, but I don't know. Uh, they almost kiss. Almost. Uh, and it's right as, um, Rachel, uh, tele telepathically communicates like, Brian, we need you. And he's not really hiding it. It's like, oh, that's see Courtney. That's my friend, Rachel. She's a telepath. And then he almost, it looks like he, they almost go in for a kiss. I don't know if he's just getting close to be like, look, I gotta go, you know, like you're, you're a really good friend. And, uh, you don't put your hands on the chin of the woman. You're just saying, <sighs> I gotta go to. Yeah, you're right. He wants to kiss her, but he doesn't, he flies off. Uh, and, and he says, I'll be in touch. And she's like, I'll be waiting. And she heads off. He returns back to the lighthouse and then, uh, Kitty's like, this thing happened to me. And Nightcrawler's like, yep, it happened to me. And he's like, well, maybe we should leave this place. And they're all like, no, I think it's fun. We should stay. This place is awesome. Let's put our trials and tribulations behind us. What do you say? Are you with me, Excalibur? And they all put their hands in the middle and everybody's happy. Yay. Uh, another good story. Uh, fantastic uh, Alan Davis artwork as always. Kind of a sudden ending. It's it's weird, but I like it. I don't know why. Yeah, it was good. So, yeah, that was Excalibur. It sure was. Talk a little bit about Wolverine number two. 
as long as we're as long as we're here. Sure. Talking about stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we get a little bit of introduction of Lindsay McCabe. We saw her in the last issue. She was also in those old San Francisco Uncanny X Men issues. I'm wondering, she, do you think Wolverine just never took his cowl off when Lindsay McCabe was around? I want to say that in a couple issues, she's going to say, "Yeah, I knew it was you the whole time." Oh, okay. But I don't know that for a fact. Okay. I'm just kind of hoping that is true because otherwise, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So Lindsay's hanging out with uh, Patch, who is basically Logan with a patch on. Yep. And uh, they're hanging out at a a particular bar, which is a pretty dangerous place in Madripoor, Lowtown. They know that upstairs is where uh, Jessica Drew was supposed to meet Lindsay or something like that. Uh, First, they have some shenanigans where they drink some sort of – uh, I guess it's a Long Island iced tea. They make a big deal out of it. And then Lindsay just says, it's a Long Island iced tea. Mm-hmm. Why is she falling on the floor for that? Apparently, it's a special o- Long Island iced tea. Only Rose and Logan are the only two that can stand up after it. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe I'm not drinking Long Island iced tea right. Uh, I haven't had a Long Island iced tea in probably 15 years, but as soon as I read this issue, he's like, oh, you know what I could go for? I could totally <laughs> go for a Long Island iced tea. Yeah. Anyways. It just sounds so good. It's refreshing, and you only need like one, maybe two if you're in a mood. So uh, Logan goes upstairs as Lindsay is getting drunker and drunker, so she goes and uh, just to be safe kind of starts tending bar. Uh, we get a little bit of... Uh, Re flashback of the last issue as Wolverine goes upstairs and once he gets upstairs, he sees that everybody upstairs is dead. He starts recalling that he's coming after a uh, Japanese samurai sword called the Muramusa blade, which is also known as the black blade. And as he discovers somebody in the corner, we don't know who it is. Silver samurai shows up and threatens to kill everybody because that's just what silver samurai does. His uh, sword can cut through adamantium, specifically adamantium claws. Um, can it actually? I don't know, but that's... Or is that just the dumb movie? Well, that's the speculation that Logan has here. Yeah, he says, like, uh, Silver Samurai brags, including he likes to boast my adamantium lace skeleton. One way to end this quick for sure. Uh, so, yeah, the blade supposedly can cut through anything, but... But I'm wondering if this issue... Or if is the motivation for that dumb movie, or if this uh, is referred to many times in the Wolverine pantheon? I don't know, because cause in the dumb movie, Silver Samurai was a giant robot. Yes. Let's not talk so. about the dumb movie anymore. <laughs> it was such a good movie up until like oh, the was. last half. The movie was terrible. It, it no, had potential. you're right. You're right. You're right. The first half was that. You're right. The first, I, I forget that the first half was. Uh, Didn't some, feature giant samurai warriors. Right. Was somewhat reminiscent of the limited series. Yeah, it was fun. Somewhat. Rem- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyways. You got Yukio, you got ninjas. Yep, yep, yep. And wasn't Silver Fox, Silver Mane, no, the girl, the woman? Yukio. Oh, wait, which one wasn't am it, I thinking of? Wasn't it Yukio? What? Silver Fox was in the first one. Oh, okay. She gets killed. That's right. Although she comes back at the end as some sort of mutant and it's terrible. Yeah. All right. Let's not talk about that anymore. 
Anyway, <laughs> Silver Samurai and Wolverine fight as they do. And that at some point it is revealed that uh, Jessica Drew has taken control of the Black Blade, but the Black Blade actually takes control of the person who is using it. The Black Blade is mine, Samurai, and any who try to take it from me shall pay for their effrontery with their lives, with their immortal souls. And uh, cut back downstairs to Lindsay McCabe, who's changing her outfit for some reason. Um, I guess so she can tend bar. Silver Surfer gets tossed down the stairs. Jessica S- Drew coming after her. The Silver Surfer gets tossed silver down the Sable, s- Silver Sable, Silver Samurai. Wow. There's so many silver people in the Marvel Universe. How do I know which is who? What? All I saw was a flurry of silver. Was there a Silver Hawk tossed down the stairs? Yes. That would have been amazing. The one with the guitar. Tally-ho! Sorry, go ahead. The patrons of the bar all flee, um, except for a handful of them with guns who kind of shoot at Silver Samurai and Jessica Drew. Uh, Silver Samurai blocks the bullets with his sword because that's what he does. And he, then he kills a couple of the guys. And then Jessica Drew kills the rest of them with her black blade. Where the, where the heck is Wolverine? Lindsay is trying to convince uh, Jessica Drew that they're friends. And Jessica's like, no, not anymore. Thy friend is as dead as thou soon shalt be. And that's when Wolverine jumps down the stairs and tackles Jessica Drew. And then somehow they uh, they they continue fighting. They end up back upstairs as Jessica Drew attacks uh, Silver Samurai again. Wolverine has been talking this whole issue about how he can't reveal himself because Silver Samurai knows who he is and Jessica Drew knows who he is and Lindsay McCabe knows who he is. So he hasn't been popping his claws. And finally he decides, well, it, it, since the since the Black Blade has taken over Jessica Drew, I'm just going to have to kill her. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. And so he pops his claws and then somehow they all end up on the roof. Mm-hmm. Not really sure how. The bar collapses. Oh, and then she scales the roof, I suppose. And uh, Wolverine follows. Lindsay McCabe manages to save the samurai, silver samurais. I just combined the word silver and samurai. The silver samurai. <laughs> <laughs> the silver samurai's uh, life because the bar collapses on uh, him and she uses his sword to rescue him instead of kill him, which is what he expected. And then he turns around and saves her life when she falls down a gaping hole. And now they're even. Meanwhile, on the uh, roofs of Madripoor, Wolverine rips his shirt off for some reason. And a topless patch. Maybe it's so that Jessica Drew won't identify him. <laughs> She'll just be looking at my pecs. <laughs> they they have a little fight to the death. And... Um, they get knocked. There's a lot of parkour going on here. They get knocked into the other buildings and they jump off of other buildings and they get knocked into different buildings, fighting each other with claws and swords. And uh, somehow they end up a, up a railing. This is like a full on action scene. This goes on for like three pages. And at the end of it, Wolverine grabs the sword and the sword says, such spirit I have never known. Rejoice, warrior, for thou and I are fated to be one. Wolverine says no. But we end with the next page where the Wolverine is talking with the sword's voice to Silver Samurai and Lindsay McCabe, saying, let the world tremble. Let all who live beware. For at long last the Black Blade has a master worthy of the name. 
And with this woman's sacrifice, because he's holding Jessica Drew, the bond that's been forged can never be broken. And he's going to kill her. Yeah. Patch is uh, possessed. He sure is. Uh, And the last page shows a really terrible drawing of Wolverine with like a slash hat. (laughs) It's a. Is this Sam Keith? No, it's it's by uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh, weird. Bill Sienkiewicz can draw better than this. <laughs> He's experimenting with a style. It understood. Like it's not it's not like a like a clunky bad drawing. It's just it's super odd. It does kind of show that how Sam Keith is heavily influenced by uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. Because it does it does feel like a Sam Keith esque drawing. Yes. Yes, sir. It sure does. Then there was uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 13, I think. Yes. Yep or doodle. In which you're absolutely correct. We we left the last chapter of the story with the kid pointing a gun and said, are you commie like my dad says? And then we flip to this chapter where like, like uh, we take a U-turn and introduce a whole concept that we haven't even seen yet, and it's all the neighbors gossiping. And apparently there's a grandfather of this family who's, like, just living in his car. Well, it's the grandfather from the last couple of issues. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Did he go to the car in that issue? He didn't go to the car in that issue. He went to the car in between this issue and that issue. (laughs) Okay, so he's in the car and he's like... Oh, everybody's gossiping, but I got my picture. So he's just sitting in the car with like model airplanes hanging above him and pictures of classic movie stars. And that's how he's going to spend his time. Gonna live here with Ingrid and Gable and Betty and Flynn out here in the out here out of the firing line. Yep. There's a cold we're brewing in the old homestead. And And, uh, he refuses to go inside. We move our. I guess when when the dad was handing out guns, he was like, eh, not so into that. Not for you. So, yeah, we, we move into the house and uh, we're getting some more kind of rhetoric here. Um, but we when we finally see the kid, we do see that there's a gun at his feet, but he's just playing with army action figures and he's really angry. But the gun's no well, longer pointed at Peter. Yeah, he's an angry kid. And this, his dad's angry, so he probably gets it from his dad. Sure. So uh, Colossus is like, why don't we get a hotel and this guy gets all mad. He's like, I can't afford a hotel. I'm a Vietnam vet. I can't even get a job. My son has to share a room with his grandfather. I can't afford my wife's health care. How can I check into a hotel with no money? And then for the next three pages, I think, we get like Reagan's America crammed down our throat. Well, it's 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 a it's a back and forth between the goods and the good and bad sides of America and Russia and the ultimate uh, resolution is what uh, a few pages later, Colossus says, both systems have strengths, but ultimately fall short of what they promise. We must stop the fighting. But the, the pages of dialogue between these two, like honestly feel contrived and like really preachy. But it's not really preachy for one point or the other, I guess. I mean, I agree with you. It is not, it wasn't, pleasant to read <laughs> no i feel like it's more of Colossus being like you say you have freedom you don't have any of these things isn't healthcare a human right blah 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 and all the other guys like yeah but communism <laughs> and peter keeps going on like 
Well, we have health and education, and it might suffer in quality, but at least it's considered a basic right. Look at America. You got violence and unemployment and religious persecution. And, and on and on and on. Anyways, I, I mean, it's clearly written from whoever's writing this, and I guess I could look up whoever that is. I feel like they have kind of a chip on their shoulder, and they're like, this is my forum. Well, it's it's Innocenti, and Innocenti... Um, and it's not that I disagree with many of these points. I'm just like, this is like a little much, but also a little like, I don't know, kind of like indoctrination in a comic book. A if, little bit. If, so I've, I've been reading Anna Senti's Daredevil run and there is um, stuff like this infused in it. But I don't I don't think she has an opinion one way or other. I think she just likes pointing out the uh the the kind of dark sides of things based and this is just based on the daredevil run so if i had read this without reading some of her other stuff in the daredevil one i'd be i'd be right there on board with you and like yeah this is annoying but because i've read some of her other stuff i realize that she's just sort of getting it she's trying to get at things she's maybe not the most eloquent writer in the world but she's just trying to get at things that we don't necessarily think about that's how i feel anyway mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure um and interestingly enough, a lot of the points that Colossus makes uh, are arguments that we're still having today, 30 years later. Exactly. That's that's what I found the most interesting is that like this argument could have been could have taken place today. Yep, totally. For the most part. And that's when the bad guys show up and start firing the guns at the homestead. Colossus armors up, goes out there and faces off against a guy with big fingers. I guess his name is number six. Yeah, I don't know what their names are. And apparently this is the guy that they fought with earlier. Uh, These are the guys with augmentations. They're fighting. Colossus looks like he smashes a woman to the ground. Well, yeah, he he probably doesn't realize that it's a woman, um, knowing yeah. Peter. And it, but... it has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. Uh, but because he goes like, wait, take me prisoner. I must talk to the family. Hit me, hit me. And he's like, I, I can't. But... In the panel where she is thrown to the ground, it looks like he smashes her face into the ground. So it's just, it's funny that a couple panels later, he's like, I can't hit you. (laughs) Not on purpose, at least. Male or female. (laughs) And I'm not trying to make uh, sexuality a thing or gender a thing, but this is kind of funny. So apparently she's, maybe she's undercover because she's like, hit me, bring me, take me captive. I want to talk to them. I don't know. Do you think that Peter can't hit her because she's a woman or because he's got her... Uh, down for the count already. I think male or female, he he's got this. He's got this situation under control. It's Peter, and he doesn't like to harm people. Mm, okay. So even though like he could just end it here, he's like, oh, I cannot do this. It is the '80s, so I could see it going either way. True. Um, but Anna Senti's reading writing. That's true. I don't know. Uh, and that's <laughs> <laughs> um. The wife says, uh, Bruce, try not to kill anyone because he's got his gun. Do you think gun. the neighbors heard anything? Yeah. And the neighbors who are gossiping at the early issue, uh, earlier in the issue, they're watching this and like, did you hear that? A shot? Sounds like a fight. Should we call the police and put an end to the excitement? Forget it. I mean, there was an all out gunfight happening here for a moment. <laughs> and they're like, oh, did you hear a shot? This is the most excitement they've had in weeks. That's of, of all of the chapters. This has been the best chapter so far, but that's not really saying much. <laughs> compliment insult <laughs> yes backhanded compliment 
So there you go. Those are all of the issues we have. Oh, no, wait. We mm. got one more. What do we have? We got Incredible Hulk number 350, which I just wanted to mention because <laughs> okay. it's, got a, it's got a cameo at the end of it. Last page, the Beast shows up, and it's Blue Beast, and this is like a lead-in to the Avengers annual that we already covered uh, that was part of the Evolutionary War. And the when the Avengers take on the high evolutionary with with a weird with a weird ragtag team including Beast and Hulk, this is this is because Beast shows up at the end of a big Thing Hulk fight, Thing being all rocky, Hulk being all gray, in which Thing is now stronger than the Hulk, but Hulk is smarter than Thing and manages to to best him using tactics rather than strength. But you. You have a you've got Gray Hulk and Fake Green Hulk and Thing. Well, yeah, Fake Green Hulk is of course a Doctor Doom robot because you know because he always is. Well, right. When it comes to the Fantastic Four, it, it's always a a Doombot. But I I kept going like I read most of the issue and I kept feeling bad for Thing because Thing gets pummeled, but then Thing pummels Hulk and then I started feeling bad for Hulk. <laughs> I don't know if if you there's a the lead into this issue is a Fantastic Four issue in which uh, the thing completely trounces Hulk. Uh, there, there isn't even a back and forth. A lot, so, of, lot of fighting in this issue, like more fighting than I think I've ever seen in any comic book. Yeah, it was pretty much a, a double-sized fight issue. Yes, it's crazy. Like 30 pages of fighting, if you go for that sort of thing. Uh, it's a bit much. Uh, good, good art, though. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Yeah, so Adam, did you did you end up watching that X Men Dark Phoenix trailer? Uh, let's see. I watched I watched the new Halloween. Um, but did you watch the trailer to the new X Men Dark Phoenix movie? Um, and I watched I watched Deep Red by Dario Argento. Mm, I've never seen that. I've seen before. Classic Giallo. Although, if you're going to start with uh, if you if you want to watch a uh, to get a good idea of Dario Argento, you of course have to start with Suspiria. I've seen Suspiria. Uh, well, then you don't need to see any of the other ones, unless you liked Suspiria, in which case you need to see all of them. I was not a huge fan of Suspiria. Okay, it's not for everybody. It's it's a very stylish, very low plot film. I should try it again, though. I I think I was probably in the mood for like a zombie movie, <laughs> and. Uh, it's not that at all. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's straight up just stylish moment after stylish moment. And it's, it's not really so much a, a, a film as sort of an emotional roller coaster of visuals and sounds. Yeah. No, I'm aware. So, I think 20 years ago, I got big into Italian horror directors. Mm hmm. Uh, so Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci are the only two that are coming to my mind. That uh, I was going through their stuff, and of course, Suspiria is like the number one Dario Argento movie you're supposed to see. And so I bought. I think there might be a Criterion DVD version. If there There's, is, I bought that. Suspiria has a new Blu-ray out or DVD out every month. So. <laughs> oh, so it's like Army of Darkness. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, I should give that a, I should give that a try again. You should. I should. 
Anyways, uh, but you did not see the. I did not, and I'm and to answer your question, no, I didn't. I didn't watch okay. the the trailer. I forgot. We did promise our listeners we would talk about it, uh, and you have let them down again. So, listeners, come to my Patreon page, <laughs> the Jeremy Patreon page, where I will deliver content that I promise, and Adam will get no money. You know, you could have reminded me at any point this week. I shouldn't have to remind you you're an adult. I'm just saying. If, if With you, res- are, you are as responsible for the content of this podcast as I am. And if you wanted to just be 100% certain, you could have taken that responsibility on your own. You didn't have to just rely on me being responsible, which is almost a lose-lose situation every time. Way to deflect. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> this is everybody's fault but mine. <laughs> well, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe one of these days we'll talk about the trailer. Honestly, I I don't really know that there's much to talk about. I want to I want to watch it like right before we uh I want to have it fresh cuz last time cuz I I'm pretty sure I've seen it and I just don't remember. It's cuz it's immemorable. Although there's three <laughs> versions and I feel like uh I feel like I watched trailer number 3 and I thought I liked it maybe better than I liked the other trailers. I don't remember though. Well, send me that one. So at least we're watching the same one. All right. So there you go, listeners. Uh, we're letting you down and we're not going to talk about X-Men Dark Phoenix, but we will think about trying to do it next week. I'll try to watch it every day until next week. Oh, you can just like burn it into your mind and you'll have. Yeah, exactly. Once, once, once a day, I'll I'll watch it seven times before next week's episode. Oh, I know. This is the thing you need to look for, Adam. In the trailer, there is a woman all in white who looks to be corrupting Jean Grey. And I don't know who it is. I mean, you can almost guess who it should be, but I feel like they used up her character in X-Men First Class. I think, didn't you say in the last episode that you thought it was Jean Grey's sister? No, no, it wasn't, Mm -mm. it wasn't Sarah. It was Annie. Was, did you think it was Annie? No, well, there's another scene where she's in uh, like an alleyway. She's like, why did you do it? Why did you make me do it? And I just theorized like maybe somebody pushed her and she accidentally killed her friend, Annie Richards, but that's Uh, not what I'm referring to. And I don't think that that's what actually happens in that alleyway. So you're thinking this is like a white queen thing, even though they've already had her in the movies twice yeah was she in the movies twice she was in x-men wolverine's origin the movie that we're not supposed to talk about what did she do in that movie she was one of the prisoners at the end that escape along with cyclops and silver fox and all that crap yeah Uh, you know i i am willing not not that it's my choice but i'm willing to look at those first two wolverine movies and be like, that was just the, all of those were dreams. And any character you saw in any of those <laughs> movies weren't actually used and didn't like Gambit was not in any of the Wolverine movies in canon anyways. Neither was Jubilee. Uh, so so that one doesn't count in, in my opinion. But uh, what happened to January Jones in first class? Uh, I don't know. Like she had diamond skin. Did she get killed? Did she run away? I don't think she got killed. Didn't she end up with Magneto at the end? I don't remember because she I didn't. Think she did, but I don't remember either. She didn't come back in. Well, the second movie was Days of Future Past, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, she was not but, there but for almost that. Almost nobody came back for Days of Future Past. Right, and she was not in uh, Apocalypse. 
Nope. But again, almost no one came back for that either. It's like they get a cast and they last like a cast of villains and they can only last one movie. Well, and a cast Except of for heroes. Magneto. Well, right. But Magneto, like Magneto is the only villain that seems to be a thread through each movie. Oh, and that's another thing to look for when you watch in the trailer. Uh, Mystique, when she's like human in her like Caucasian face disguise or whatever. Uh, looks, Jennifer, what's her face? Looks Jennifer like, Lawrence. Looks like Jennifer Lawrence. Probably, I think is played by Jennifer Lawrence. But when she's in blue-faced, red-haired Mystique, it looks like a completely different actress. <laughs> Baby Jennifer Lawrence just said, "Yeah, I'm not going to play Mystique this time." I think she's like, "I'm Jennifer Lawrence. I'm get somebody else. Not putting that on. I'm I'm Oscar-winning Jennifer Lawrence. Right. You, I'll I'll do your movie, but I ain't putting the makeup on. I mean, look for it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I uh, the couple of times I've seen it, I'm like that doesn't look like Jennifer Lawrence at all. But I, I could be wrong. So anyways, those are some some uh, previews of things to look for and things that are on my mind, at least as it uh, pertains to the trailer. See, we did talk about the trailer, and I haven't even seen it, I mean, <laughs> as far as I know. All right, then. Um, that's it. That's all I got. All right. Uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.